0: You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, folks, we've
1: reached the final episode of the season for Fair Game. Initially, we had planned 20 episodes and it became clear we were going to need to expand. And in that expansion, we have included several guests from Canada, multiple concessionaires, and agent. And now we welcome the CEO of one of the largest county fairs in America, Michelle Richards joins us today from Southern California, where she is the CEO of the OC Fair. Michelle, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Robert. How are you?
1: I am doing amazing. I mean, I guess as good as anybody can for 2020. That's right. Listen, um, according to Carnival Warehouse, by attendance, you all are the eighth largest fair in the country and second largest county fair in America right behind Del Mar. That's pretty impressive. If you would, take a minute and share a bit more about your fair.
0: Well, it's, you know, I mean, numbers are numbers. I happen to think we're the best fair in the nation. Um, <laughs> but I, but again, I, um, I guess you, you would say that about your kids too, right? I've got right. the best kid in the world. So of course. Um, but the OC Fair is, you know, we our community calls it the, the biggest summer party of the year. And it really is. Um, 1.3 million people every year come to the OC fair. And uh, it's, um, it's a tradition that has been going on for 130 years. So you can imagine, it was pretty sobering to have to cancel it this year.
1: Absolutely. Now for context, we're recording this on December the 11th. And I was doing a little background on you for the interview. And I realized that it was just a year ago on the 12th, at least I believe according to the press releases, that you were named CEO of the OC Fair. Can you talk about your background with the fair and how you came to be the CEO?
0: Sure, um, yes, and you're right. Thank you for recognizing that. In fact, today is uh, completes 365 days. I picked a hell of a year to yes. start as. Yes, you did. <laughs> as the CEO, right? Your
1: first fair went great, Michelle. I uh, didn't. It?
0: I know. I was saying, hey, you know what? We broke records. No one <laughs> got hurt. No one got arrested. Right. So worst you know, attendance
1: in the history. Yeah, year. yeah. And then next Zero.
0: year, next year, uh, we'll break another record because it'll be the um, you know the biggest uh, year-over-year increase in attendance. Exactly. You know, you can only go up from here. Um, so I actually, uh, my, my history with the OC Fair started in uh, 2002. So um, the fair was much smaller then. And I was doing some organizational development, uh, leadership development consulting. I have a, a background in uh, human resources and um, organizational development. And the OC Fair at the time had received some grant money from the the state and they wanted to use it to launch an employee development training and development program so i was called in kind of on a you know temporary project basis and um, they just kept having one project after another for me. So I got to know the fair very well from working with the leaders of the organization and, and you know, developing leadership skills with, uh, for the, the management staff here. And um, when Jerome Hoban became CEO in 2012, he asked me to to join his executive staff. And then, you know, the rest is history.
1: And you just kept building up from there. And then when, um, was it, Kathy was with you guys and then she departed, you you go move into the position and you take over. And like you say, it was a hell of a year to take over. Describe for us, if you will, kind of what's your approach to leadership with your team at the fair?
0: Well, I, um, you know, I have some, some personal beliefs that are really, really important to me about working with people. Um, because it, to me, that's what leadership is all about, is you've, you've got to build a solid, solid relationship with the people that you're leading. Otherwise, you know, forget it. It's never going to work out. And so you've got to have respect for humans and, and you have to treat people as adults, um, draw them in have them help with the the problem solving and uh, we'd be dead in the water right now if it weren't for the staff at uh, at the OC fair, just pulling together and everybody wanting to make it work, wanting to move forward. Um, So I'm very, very blessed with a a great team. Um, I also, um, I also have a belief that leaders should leave the place better than they, they found it. And that, that comes from the way I was raised. I, I told the staff this story that um, when I was a kid, my family never had you know, a lot of extra money to, to spend. So we had very simple vacations. I grew up in a big family. We used to go camping all the time. And um, before we would leave the campsite, my dad would um, give us each a, a bag and we had to go pick up trash around the, the campsite. And, you know, we would bitch and moan as kids, like, I didn't throw that. I didn't make that, you know, that trash. And my dad said, nope, you always want to leave the place better than you found it. So I believe that we in the fair industry have a responsibility to future generations that we do better and that we make the place better than we found it so that they inherit something that they can build on as well.
1: Yeah, I think um, that's a great approach. Yeah. I think maybe before we continue, I should give full disclosure to the folks listening. One of my attractions, Conjurer Fortune Machine, has been appearing at the OC fair for the last five years. and before anyone says it, yes, as a fortune machine, Conjurer maybe should have predicted this whole pandemic thing.
0: Yeah, but, yeah uh, conjure, give me a <laughs> give me a fortune
1: yeah let's let's uh <laughs> let's look at the future anyhow so. If it seems like I sing the praises of this fair, it's not only because it's one of my fairs and one of my clients, but it's because all around, it's just a fantastic fair. And I think there's two parts to that story. I think, Michelle, it's like you said, you have an incredible staff working on that. Um, But I also I tell a lot of people that working OC Fair feels a lot more like working a theme park than it does working a county fair. And I think some of that has to do with the OC Fair's partnership with RCS. How has that partnership benefited the OC Fair?
0: Well, uh, when you know, when o- when RCS came onto the scene with us, it was a it was a real game changer. And you know, um, there's nobody, in my opinion, nobody in the um, carnival industry that pays more attention to. Presentation and quality and excellence um, than RCS does, and so uh, it just you know improved that piece of the um, the fair tremendously when RCS came on board. They've done a great job.
1: Yeah, I I marvel at the way they have their show is one of the cleanest that I've seen, and I get the, I get the privilege of being an entertainer traveling to fairs all over the country and seeing how a lot of different shows run and we have a lot of really good carnival operators in this in this industry yeah. rcs just always feels like they're just that cut above everybody yep.
0: else they pay attention to the little details yep which you you wouldn't really um notice unless you were looking for it but you would definitely notice if it were missing you know? correct and then of course their safety record is <clears throat> phenomenal sure um, yeah
1: Sure. And as I recall several years ago, when that accident tragically happened at the Ohio State Fair, RCS has the exact same ride system as I understand it. And I believe I could be mistaken, but as I recall, I believe they pulled the plug on that ride before the manufacturer, before anybody else told them to they did it on their own.
0: Pulled it, pulled it immediately. immediately and and didn't start it up again until it had been you know inspected and cleared at multiple levels so that that's the kind of partner that you know that's very important to us
1: absolutely now out at the oc fair you guys do a lot more than just the fair itself you guys are a year-round event facility can you give us an example of some of the other events you all host at the grounds
0: Yeah, let me see if I can remember when, (laughs) when we used to be able to do events, but um, they're coming back, they are rolling back. Um, So we do um, about 150 events year round. And those are, um, you know, rental, rental events. Um, We do our own self produced event in the spring. It's uh, um, uh, Imaginology, our our STEM event, but I'll talk about our our rentals. So um, we have everything from you know car shows, craft shows, cultural shows, sporting events. Um, you know, Crossroads of the West gun show. We do several gem fair shows throughout the year. We do um, um, you know boxing in the the hangar. Um, we have, uh, you know, a- automotive shows, as I said. So there- there's really something going on here every single day of the year.
1: I get the feeling, traveling to fairs all across the country, that many of the people in our communities that attend a fair, they go to a fair and they see, you know, a fair for five or 10 days in the summer, or in your case, 23 days, and then that's it. I think many times our communities may not understand how important the role is that our fairgrounds play in those communities. Mm-hmm. How has the OC Fair been able to support the community during the pandemic?
0: Oh, great question. Um, well, listen, when, when we had to close down you know, our, uh, our mass gatherings, our, our events, and the fair got canceled, we immediately thought, okay, well, what can we do for this community? Um, people are gonna miss the fair like crazy. Um, how, how can we you know how can we help? So you you first start thinking about the emergency response and and you know Robert from having traveled to different fairgrounds that's that's a, a real key um, um, you know priority for fairgrounds is to serve, The community during emergency situations. And so it continues to this day. We are doing COVID testing with the County of Orange um, on our property. That started several months ago. It was supposed to wrap up uh, about a month ago, and they've extended through the end of the year. So we turn the property over to the, um, the, the county for doing that very vital service. Also, several times a month, on, um, on Saturdays, we do an emergency food distribution and we've partnered with the OC Food Bank and a um, nonprofit called Foundation, sorry, Power of One Foundation. And um, they gather food that is distributed through that farm to families program with the government. So, you know, when the restaurants started closing down schools, cafeterias, there was all that surplus of food that was, we all saw it on the news, right? The you know, pouring milk down the drain and, you know, crops going unharvested. Well, yep. um, the farm to families program has gathered up all that food and distributed it through the, um, the food banks. And this foundation, Power One Foundation, um, we I've have volunteered several times with it. The, the cars line up, trunks open. We put the boxes of food and produce in uh, and dairy products in their trunk, and they drive away. So super safe for everybody. But um, five thousand families a week are getting fed.
1: Well, and that the OC Fair or the OC Food Bank isn't that one of the. Um, organizations you all support with We Care Wednesdays during the fair,
0: we do. We absolutely do. So We Care Wednesday. Um, if people bring a uh, not some non-perishable food items to the uh, the fair to make that donation to the OC Food Bank and Second Harvest Food Bank, then they get free admission to the fair. So it was a, a natural partnership.
1: For sure, yeah, yeah, that works really well. And I think I'm looking back at the beginning of the year and. You know, I, I know our state and local governments and federal governments all seem like they nobody knew what they were doing. Yeah. But the one credit I have to give to here in Albuquerque to Albuquerque Public Schools, Within a week or 10 days after they had to do shutdowns and close schools, they were getting tens of thousands of kids fed yeah. rapidly with, yeah. with food pickups, cafeteria food pickups at, at yeah. different locations, satellite locations around the, the city. They responded faster than anybody did. And I've, I, I see that over and over again in life that when it really comes to an emergency, local always seems to move much faster than oh, other bet. governments do.
0: Well, in fact, this um, um, Power of One Foundation—they have zero paid employees, zero. Wow! E- even their, you know, their executive director does it all on a volunteer basis. So, you know, you want to, you want to help out people that are directly connecting to, you know, people in need, and the community is so appreciative. You know, these families come through the line and get a box of food, and it's not. It's not canned food, you know, or, or uh, mac and cheese on the shelf, right. which is fine. These are this boxes of fresh produce and gallons of milk and cheese and frozen meat. In fact, our, our own Centennial Farm here at mm-hmm. the fair, you're familiar with our, our farm, yep. Robert. Um, the produce that we're harvesting from the farm is all going to the the OC food bank to be distributed to those families.
1: So in the middle of all this, you guys have maintained the farm and kept it, kept it going.
0: We have, yes, we have. And in fact, it just recently uh, opened back up to the public. It's considered a, an outdoor museum. And because it's out in the open, it's, you know, it's allowed. You have to make a reservation, but people can still come visit. Sure. Yeah.
1: So looking back Earlier in this year, you know, I've said it over and over on this podcast, it feels like January and February, a lot of us, we started to hear about the virus coming in, but I don't think anybody really (laughs) realized, you know, and I think part of it, at least from our industry is we've dealt with E. coli scares. We dealt with the swine flu. We've dealt Mm -hmm. with other things and they just were never as massive as the media made it out to be. But then March 11th hits and world health declares this a pandemic. And I think more closer to home, Houston Livestock show cancels just days into their event. And I think for a lot of us, that's when we went, Oh man, this be big. Can you describe, um, what you were thinking when you heard that Houston had canceled?
0: Well, I, I was watching it on live television. So we, we started getting text messages, you know, from Houston from, you know, fair, fair partners. And, um, uh, there's a, a, TV in the conference room right next to me. So we went in and turned the TV on. And I'll, I'll never forget the aerial shot, you know, of, of the, um, I think it was the, the carnival area, watching the ride shut down and people just starting to funnel, you know, funnel out of the gates. It was, it, it, I think that's probably when I realized, um, yeah, this, the, it was the first time I allowed myself to think, you know our fair might be canceled our right. fair might be canceled
1: yeah, yeah i remember the week prior to that um the city of austin canceled they pulled the permit for south by southwest and yep. vendors were going in and getting ready they were ready to go and and they canceled it and i just i just sat there thinking this seems like a real overreaction and then a week <laughs> later it was like you know that it, it regardless i know that i think because it's a presidential year a lot of um a lot of politics have been made out of this pandemic, yes. but I think when you look at what happened in Houston, I don't care what party you're with, that can't be an easy decision because that that mm-hmm. cost them hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue in that city to just oh, be yeah. like, we're done, close the doors. Right. That's not an easy decision to
0: make. Not at all. And I really, I really felt the same, um, the same for our board of directors having to make a very public decision. To cancel the fair, and you know, even though it was the absolute right thing to do, and of course, looking back now, it was you know a slam dunk, right? Of course. Um, But hindsight is is twenty twenty. But I I felt for them making that decision um, because of what the fair means to the community, Um, you know, and taking a beloved event away was pretty devastating, but th- it takes courage to make, you know, make those choices. That is the right thing to do in the long run.
1: Right. Well, and I think Jerry Hammer might have summed it up the best after they canceled the Minnesota State Fair. He likens fairs to airplanes that are taking off bigger planes need more runway to get Mm -hmm. in the air than smaller planes do. And OC Fair in the big scheme of things is certainly a large airplane. I mean, you guys build a small city on your grounds for, for a month. Yeah. Using Jerry's analogy, how much runway does the OC Fair need to get off the ground?
0: Well, I, I can tell you exactly because we calculated that in terms of when do we put this dilemma in front of the board of directors when does it make sense and our board had a, a special meeting um, on april 27th and that was the the one and only topic on the agenda so i knew that we needed to provide as much information as possible to the board that would um, allow them to debate the the issue and as you remember uh march april there wasn't very much information out there at all and fortunately for us in california our governor had a a a noon conference a few days before that board meeting and a reporter asked him what about all of our summer events like the 4th of July and the fairs and festivals that happen throughout the state. And he said, you know, he said, until we reach herd immunity, um, he said, I just don't see it happening. It's just not gonna be possible. So that was what kind of tipped tipped us over the edge. And we needed to make the decision early enough. I love that analogy of, of, you know, bigger planes need more runway. Um, you know, and, and you know what you you partner with us at the fair. Imagine if you had spent all that money getting ready to, you know, to be at the fair, but we waited till the last minute to cancel it, and you were out. You know, hotel, uh, airfare, all the materials that you need for you know for for your performance. And we just didn't want to see that happen to our our merchants, our concessionaires that are ordering product that they may or may not be able to get credit for. So, um, so I think our runway starts um, somewhere, you know, somewhere in late March to late April.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's just the, that's on the prep side. I mean, at some point you guys got to go into blackout on that fairground where the only thing happening on the grounds is prep. I mean, you yeah. don't move all those RCS doesn't move in in, in a couple of days, I mean, oh, it's no. a long process to get everything yeah. set up. And like you said, that decision has to get made right long before that anybody long shows before. up at your gates.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. and
1: unfortunately there were, you know, we spoke with um, Kyle Palmer from artisan attractions and, and a number of entertainers that were involved in the cancellations in Florida. And you know, I feel bad for the fair in Miami. They everybody was there, stock trucks were loaded, entertainers yeah. were in, ready to go, and they were like an hour or thirty minutes out, and they came in and shut them down.
0: Yeah, see, they you know, and by then they've already spent all their money with no way to to earn it back. Right. So we've kind of you know set a um, a goal or a, a time frame for twenty twenty one as well about that same. You know that same um, point in time by, you know, middle well probably end of March until end of April. Some sometime in there, we're gonna have to we're gonna oh, sure. have to make a decision because at some
1: point in there, you guys have to start writing checks for your marketing plan, right. Getting that, you know, uh, uh, those dollars for all those fairs that had bought all those television spots and produced right. commercials and all that jazz, they didn't get a penny of it back, Mm-mm. just like the acts that had. Paid to fly in and travel yep. across the country to Florida. They didn't get any of it back. No. So it's just a decision, unfortunately, that has to be made earlier. Um, but with a cancellation like that comes an enormous financial blow to your organization. Have there been other ways your fair's been able to get creative for other revenue generation or have California restrictions kind of kept you shut down?
0: Well, you know, we, we've been one of the most restrictive states in the union for, um, you know, for COVID response. So it's been, it's been a bit like uh, pushing a rope up, up a hill. Mm. And um, however, um, we have gotten approval for some sectors of our business. Um, We're allowed to have outdoor shopping. So there's a a vintage market, you know, that has set up out in the parking lot. We've done um, some um, outdoor concerts, vehicle based you know drive drive-in concerts um, right now in fact last night it it previewed a night of lights one of our promoters that does our winterfest event uh, retooled and he's designed this beautiful drive-through um, light experience and it, it it's spectacular so fantastic um, so that's off off and running um, anything inside the buildings nope no approval on that yet. Right. Um, and then we, we hosted our, our own fair food drive-through and that was hugely successful. So some of our fair concessionaires participated for a nine week period in our parking lot. people love that. They, they really miss their fair food.
1: Oh yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, hopefully by the time, July 21 rolls around. This pandemic is is well on its way to being behind us and we can have a fair. In the meantime, you still have to plan for that 2021 show. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you plan with all those unknowns when you're still in the middle of a pandemic in 2020?
0: Well, um <laughs> Not very easily. That's the short answer. So, uh, you know, we made some strategic decisions about our, our budgeting and planning for 2021. Um, you know, I, I know there are other fair CEOs that are putting together three or four different budget scenarios, you know, um, we decided, no, we're gonna, we're gonna go middle of the road and put together a budget, um, for a modified fair that is, 50% 50% of what our normal fare is 50% of the attendance 50% of the expenses and that way we're right in the middle if things miraculously improve we you know we can pivot for more and if they get shut down more we can pivot for for less so we we thought a good a good position would be to you know to have it right down the middle and then go and you know just as soon as a budget gets approved and it goes into effect in January, it'll be obsolete, right? <laughs> because something new will, you know, will have come on the the horizon that we have to deal with.
1: Well, that seems like 2020 going into overtime there, is, uh-huh. you know, yeah. I, I think it's just what's going to happen. You know, when you're talking about, you know, setting your budget in the middle and being able to hopefully pivot, you know, if you're talking about a 50 percent, You know, one of the other guests we had on the show, Linnell Smith from Sydney Royal Easter show, they've been, their government's restricted them to only 50,000 people a day for their 2021 show, which they run just under a million in their 12 days. So automatically they're down to about 600,000. That's a pretty steep hit in attendance. As Linnell said, you know, 50,000 a day for them is an idle Tuesday. Um, And their concern is potential damage to the brand. Have you guys thought about how, what that looks like in in your messaging to your guests and how do you communicate that 21 is going to look a little different. It may not have all the experiences you're used to, but we're still going to deliver a great value for your time and money.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I'm, and I think the way, the best way to answer that is to, um, you know, if you're If your brand can be damaged by, um, you know, one cancellation, one emergency, then you've got bigger problems (laughs) to deal with, right? So your brand should be much stronger than that. And your brand should, um, it should live beyond the limits of the fair itself. So if you're there for the community throughout the year, and if you're um, doing what you can to provide fun and entertainment and education throughout the year, then your brand shouldn't take a hit. Um, The community is so hungry right now for any form of entertainment, anything to get them out of the house to, you know, to see and experience something different. Um, So I I just would say uh, that, you know, with a strong brand, people will understand that you you know we, we do 1.3 million people in a 23 day period we're at 50% we're going to be only 30,000 people per day so and the, and it could we offer all the same things that we do during a, a you know a normal fair sure but we'd go absolutely broke doing that right so we have to really understand who our customer is and what the, what the the fair necessities are, you know the must haves, and make sure that we can deliver on on that.
1: Yeah, when we spoke to Jeremy Parsons from Clay County Fair in Iowa, he he referred to his twenty one fair as a transitional fair. That mm-hmm. the messaging is going to be: look, this is not the fair you're used to, but it's the fair that's going to guarantee that we still have a fair in years yeah. to come and we have a successful 22 and 23 moving forward. Yep. And that's I think, a good
0: brand. That's a good brand. Yeah. Right? yeah. I,
1: I think, I think as long as, as long as we don't, as our industry doesn't go out expecting to charge all the same money and deliver half the value, yeah. I yep. think if we, if we adjust prices as according to the value and really message it correctly, I think, our audiences will reward us. It's going to be a rough 21, but my gut feeling is we as social creatures are so desperate to be connected to other people that Mm -hmm. when this is finally done and the, the masks come off and we can open indoor, outdoor, we can be close to no more physical distancing. We can just go back to normal and it might be 18 to 36 months. But when that happens, I think our industry is going to see a new dawn of success because people will want. To come to our
0: events, I totally agree. In fact, um, uh, a couple of days ago, I was interviewed by a reporter, an LA Times reporter, and she asked me a really interesting question: um, What will that feel like? You know, when you can have the fair again. So the fair got canceled. What is that going to feel like to the staff to be able to, you know, have a fair? And I thought about it for a second, and I told her that I said, to me, it feels like um, I said goodbye to a really good friend a year ago, and I haven't been able to see that friend for a whole year. And having the fair back is going to feel like giving seeing that friend again and giving that friend the best hug you've ever had in your life. That's what it'll feel like. Yeah. Just pure joy.
1: I agree. And that's one of those... Um, you know, Kyle Palmer from Artisan and attractions, when we, m- we were interviewing him said, I just want to get out and hug somebody again. Yeah. Like, I just want to be connected to people. And, and this, this, for me, this year has been painful, physically painful at times. And I think that me being an extrovert, most, you know, a lot of us as entertainers, we're very, we're the outgoing people we thrive mm-hmm. in that environment. To all of a sudden be told, nope, you're done and stay locked up in your house is painful. I've developed a new respect for people who are introverts and then forced into social situations because I was growing up. I had friends that were introverts and I thought, you know, it's just relax. It's just a party. Just have fun. And they were always physically uncomfortable in those situations. I get it now.
0: Right. totally get it. I know. I was thinking too that. Um, all of the people we know that are germ- germophobes, you know, that have always been germophobes. They they're, were ahead
1: of the curve. I
0: know they're saying like, finally, the rest of the world knows <laughs> what we're talking about.
1: <laughs> That's yep.
0: why I have hand sanitizer with me. They
1: were, they were ahead of their time. <laughs> That's right. um, you know, listen, it, Question for you, this switching back to the, just the fair itself, kind of let's move away from the depression of what is COVID. If a new family was to come into the Costa Mesa area and they decide, they called you up and they said, Hey, we're new. We'd like to come to your fair. What do you recommend? What do you tell them?
0: Um, uh, during normal time, like no COVID we're talking no COVID.
1: Yeah. No it's COVID. a normal fair. What do you recommend a, a day at the fair? looks like for a, a young family that's going to come for the first time.
0: Sure. Well, uh, first of all, I would tell them to wear comfortable shoes because we want them to stay for a long time. Right. <laughs> yep. And, um, uh, I would, my recommendation to them is that you, you've got to see a little bit of everything, you know, not to try to try to do it all, because you'll you'll be exhausted. Yeah, you'll fact, burn out. Yeah, burn out. I would uh, recommend that they um, you know they pace themselves for sure. But they've got to have a little food. They've got to stop by a stage and see some entertainment. Most definitely, they need to go to the farm and the the livestock area. We have a killer um, culinary area, as yep. you know, at the OC Fair. So y- you've got to go in there and see the you know, beautiful uh, cakes and pies and see a cooking demonstration um, and just soak it all in, you know? And then on the way out, be sure to take a deep breath and hold it until you can come back again next year.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you guys have just such a fantastic fair. What do you think, if you had to pick one thing, what's the most impressive thing about the OC Fair? Hmm. Put you on the spot with that one.
0: Well, I know because you're going to force me to, you know, um, I, I think the most impressive thing, I, I know this is going to sound like, oh yeah, sure, Michelle, but I, I really believe that we do a very good job of reflecting our community at the OC Fair. Um, and that's why there's so much to see and do here because there's a little bit of everything so that everybody feels that they, you know, they're they're a part of the OC Fair, um, you know. Our I know that our uh, fair customer favorites um, include the food and the entertainment, um, but I also think we do a really excellent job of ag education through our farm and our our uh, livestock exhibits and um, really connecting people with the land, you know, that this is where your food and your fiber comes from and, and that there are farmers that are out there working every day under the sun to, to bring us our food.
1: Yep. Um, and I've been there. I think I, I really like what you guys do with the farm there because it, it's one thing to have pictures of, of mm-hmm. farms and, and, and with ag education, but it's another when you see young kids literally looking down at this, um, at this box uh, on the ground that's, you know, got lettuce growing in it or radishes or whatever. And they look and they realize, oh, that's what lettuce looks like when it's, Mm -hmm. when it's growing,
0: when it's in the ground, when it's in
1: the ground. And then there's this, there's this light bulb that goes on in their head and you can see they just got connected to the, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then when they're, when mom takes them to the grocery store next time, They realize it doesn't come off a shelf, but somebody, somebody grew that so that they could have a, you know, a salad or a hamburger at, you know, at their table.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, as an entertainer, I'll tell you what I think is most impressive about your fair and you alluded to it earlier and that's your team. Yes. The support as an entertainer that we get from Katie and Jeff and Dan, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And your marketing team is really terrific at coordinating media spots to help promote the event you've just got a really strong group of people in your organization, and that has to make your job, which is a very complex task of putting on this fair much easier.
0: Well, uh, absolutely. Um, You know, my, my job as a CEO is to really manage the affairs of the board of directors Mm -hmm. and to make sure that I can translate what their vision and direction is to the, to the staff. And you can't um you know for, for a fair as large as ours um i wouldn't i would not be um good at my job if i took my eye off that ball if i wasn't able to you know to um, help set the the direction in the course um that's why you need a good team because uh i you know i work with the board I translate the vision and direction and then they go off and make it happen. And they're phenomenal at it. Excellent.
1: Yeah. They're really good. You can, you can see the leadership ability that you've got to just empower your staff to go make the decisions they need to make and produce that vision. They do a fantastic job of it. Mm. Listen, we're about out of uh, time on the show. I know you've got another meeting coming up here in a few minutes. So before we go, everyone on the show goes through a little round of speed questions. So i got a handful of questions for you. Okay. Give me, Oh, everybody gets so nervous when I say it's the speed round. They're like, okay, I got to fluff,
0: got (laughs) to fluff my hair. Okay. Make sure the
1: hair's ready. That's right. Question number one funnel cake or fried Oreos funnel cake. What song could you listen to on repeat all day?
0: Um, it's got to be, some, it, it's, um, um, it's Sweet Home, Alabama.
1: Okay, Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner. All right. If money is no issue, where's the first place you travel after the pandemic ends?
0: Uh, Italy.
1: In your free time, curled up with a good book or binge watching Netflix?
0: Both at the same time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and last question. This one's a little more than, than a speed round, but it's it, a little more depth on this one. You can go back in time and give 18-year-old Michelle one bit of advice. What is it?
0: Be flexible.
1: Be flexible. And I think that's actually kind of the lesson that all of us need to take for this entire pandemic. Patience, empathy, and flexibility, because lots of unknown out there. Michelle, if folks want to reach out and get in touch with you about all things FAIRS, where can they do that?
0: Well, they can first go to our website at uh, ocfair.com. But if they want to contact me directly, they can shoot me an email at mrichards at ocfair.com.
1: Michelle, I'm so glad we could get you on the show. Please have a Merry Christmas. I look forward to hopefully seeing you in July out there in Costa Mesa. Thanks for coming on the show today.
0: Thanks for having me, Robert. Merry Christmas to you and everybody out there as well. You've been listening to the fair game podcast Fair game is a production of Robert Smith presents for more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.